Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Season 1, Episode 1. Hello and welcome back to Education on Fire. Today I'm delighted to be to welcome Lynn Hannay, who's the chair of NAEP, which is the National Association for Primary Education. Um, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about what that organisation is and, um, and how it can help you as a, as a teacher in a school. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about her history from her training through to her experience working in the, the state sector through um, some schools in Hackney in, in London and also through into the independent sector where she um, created her own school um, called the Lyceum in London, which I had the, the privilege of working at as a, as a music teacher and, and drum tutor there. So, um, hi Lynn, thank you for joining us today. Hi Mark. Um, so yes, can you start talking a little bit about NAEP and what, and what NAEP is and, and the sorts of things that um, it can offer our, our listeners? Okay, um, I've been involved with NAEP for about 30 years now. Um, I began by getting involved because I was working with a head teacher at the time, Jeremy Rowe, who was a founder member and he also um, ran an enormous festival of voices, children singing together. It began by being called Children Singing for Children, I believe, um, and that festival used to take part take place various places around the country but then culminate in an enormous festival at Wembley Conference Centre annually in the summer and there would be two to three thousand children all from all over the country come together to sing and Jeremy used to conduct that and I initially got involved with Nate through that I started helping him um, getting dragged on stage to uh, sing alongside the children etc it was an amazing event and very much I feel Festival of Voices although it doesn't happen in the same way it continues to happen in Oxfordshire for five days every year and uh, we are trying yet again to get a, a London South East based one up and running very much represents what is everything good about NAEP. NAEP represents children from birth to age 13 and we Basically, um, we want to see that they, all those children develop their potential. It's a bit of a trite thing to say these days. Um, what we mean by that really is that when you listen to what the government says um, or what is written about education, it's generally focused on secondary education. We believe very strongly that primary education isn't just a preparation for secondary education, but it is a developmental stage um, that children go through and needs to be treated in such a way. Uh, we need to think about the needs of the children in the primary stage. Um, we go up to 13, uh, which recognises the fact that when Nate was set up, we had a lot of middle schools, um, eight to 13 year old. Um, and we are also concerned with that transition from primary to secondary education and what that means for children and their development and their learning. We spend a lot of time lobbying. We are a non-political group in the broad sense of the word, um, but we are political on, the, on behalf of children because we are concerned about what is happening for them. Um, we do a lot of work 
um, with other associations and work alongside people like um, the subject associations and um, other associations which are concerned with the needs of, of childhood and with them we lobby parliament we lobby the government um, and get involved in campaigns to help improve the lives of our children so for example we have been involved in um, we were involved in the campaign to um, rid our schools of key stage one sats we have been very actively involved against um, baseline testing um, of our children when they first start school and we are at the moment working on an inter-organisational committee um, to reassess and look at how our children can be better assessed, um, their progress and their learning can be better assessed than using these very um, harsh, punitive and inappropriate tests and assessments that are happening at the moment um, for year six pupils. There was a lot of um, anger last year about um, the, what was in those tests and how they were administered and um, many groups including ourselves have come together um, to work to try to um, put forward an alternative way of doing that so that's one aspect of our work at NAEP um, and a reason to join us is that uh, we believe very strongly that our class teachers need to be free to uh, work with our children um, um, and we do that lobbying and campaigning for you if you like we are interested in what our, our um, members have to say and if they ask us to look at campaigns then we would um, so that's one aspect of our work. Another aspect of our work is providing good quality um, professional development for schools um, and individuals. So to that end, we put on conferences occasionally. We've just had a very successful EduTech conference at the Kassam Stadium just outside of Oxfordshire. It was very well attended. We had high quality speakers and uh, we've had extremely good feedback. So that's one other thing we do. Um, we are in the process of putting on a, um, a one day event at Leeds Trinity University in January this year um, with um, Ruth Mertens from the Hamilton Trust. Um, so it will be focused on mathematics teaching and the mastery of mathematics and will be an event for the students at the university and then an open event for teachers a free event if you're interested and available a free event that anyone can come to who's interested in that um a twilight session um what we're hoping to do as a result of that is to launch nap north and get a group going up there so we have a central group we have a group in oxfordshire we have a group london southeast which is based around greenwich university and we're hoping to get a group going in um up, up north um and we are launching um next year uh cpd for schools so schools can contact us and we can organize um cpd for their own school or for groups of schools uh, we also get involved in research at the moment. We're involved in a big piece of research for evaluating children's learning against European competencies. We're working with colleagues from all over Europe and I've had the 
good fortune to work in both Finland and Belgium this year and we will be inviting and welcoming our colleagues here in the UK in December and that piece of research um, will be written up at the end of next year and hopefully will work very well for us in the UK um, as we are discovering some very interesting things about how children can be better evaluated than by sitting tests at the end of year six. Um, I hope, Mark, that gives you a bit of an outline of the work of NAEP. Have I missed anything? Because you're also part of NAEP. <laughs> uh, I am indeed, yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the National Council too. And um, now I think that's that's fairly comprehensive. We are open to anyone who is interested in the education of young children. Um, so we are a group that is open to governors. We're open to parents, to grandparents. At the moment, one of our campaigns is... Um, the involvement of parents and grandparents in schools and we are working alongside a group called um, Parents Defending Education um, to that aim. Um, so yes, please join us. It's inexpensive. It helps to fund our um, campaigning, but it also gives you access to reduced rates on um, any conferences and events we're running. And at the moment, we're putting together a package for our members um, which we hope will have a few more benefits in there too. It, it, it's absolutely fantastic, and it, and it really does just give you so access to so much experience and so many great opportunities for your for your extended learning as a teacher as well, and um, and just support for various things that, that that you may have questions for, and um, and and that's really that's really important. And so for such a nominal fee, it, it really helps the organisation to thrive and to grow. And and the, the more it grows, the more it can support you. And so uh, um, that's sort of an increasing circle, which is a, a very, a very, very important one. So if you go to uh, nape.org.uk, you can find all the information there. And um, and yeah, have, have a look, see exactly what's going on there and you can contact the office through there and get membership and all that sort of thing online. So uh, yes, um, it's a great thing to check out. So let's take you back, Lynn, to, um, to, to, to the beginning of your teaching career. How did you start? Where did you train? And, and, and what's your sort of journey through your, your education life as a teacher? Well, I think, I think um, interestingly, I was um, a young girl in South Yorkshire uh, at a time when I didn't realise at the time, of course, but at a time when um, the West Riding of Yorkshire, but it came across the borders into the South South Yorkshire, was very much at the forefront of educational thinking. And um, many, many of my great education heroes um, worked in um, Yorkshire um, during the late 50s and 60s. Um, and um, I as I say, didn't realise at the time, and neither did my parents. I went to the local primary school at the end of the road, and um, we had a very interesting and um, broad education. There was lots of educational visits. We we were taught through a thematic approach to education, which has very, very much been part of my way of teaching. Um, and Yes, I I went to grammar school and grammar school is <laughs> the whole issue of grammar schools is one of the things that that NAEP has just made a, um, a statement about. Uh, we have enormous concerns about um, 
social mobility and um, how that will be would be administered and uh, equality in education. Um, but yes, as, as an 11 year old, I was one of the, only a couple of people who passed 11 plus and I was very lucky to go to a well run grammar school. Um, it was run by the epitome of a um, a spinster head teacher. Um, not not a term we would use these days, but it's what she was like. Um, she was formidable um, and she was very much on the side of her girls, a bit of a Misty and Brody character. But she insisted we all had a very broad education and opened our eyes to lots of things. And from the age of 12, that's all I ever wanted to do. I only ever wanted to teach. Um, so once I was in sixth form doing A-levels, um, I applied started to apply to uh, teach training colleges and uh, a, a lovely teacher that I was working that I was whose class I was in um, doing biology at the time she had been to Birmingham um, to do her teacher training to Edgbaston what was then called Edgbaston College of Education which was part of the University of Birmingham and suggested that it might suit me very well. So that's where I went. I did my training in Birmingham. I trained for three years doing the old Certificate of Education. It doesn't exist now. Um, I was one of the few, one of the last years to do that. Um, it then folded down. We had, I think, the, the most astonishing education in education. We, over the course of the three years, we spent a lot of time in schools and had to do three very long teaching practices, which were obviously graded. However, we also learnt the history of education, the sociology, philosophy, psychology of education. Um, we did an awful lot of work on child development, which um, is, is very, very important, I believe, for all teachers. Um, we also looked at every aspect of primary education, every subject, and we had to learn to develop our own curriculum. There was nothing like the national curriculum at the time. We were expected as students to understand how, for example, maths teaching built on itself, what came before what, what goes at either side, what to do if something goes wrong, and how to put together a curriculum. And we had to do that for every subject you might teach in the primary classroom, um, including PE. Um, and it was an amazing and quite astonishing training ground. Um, we were expected when we did our teaching practices, something that I think young teachers can't even envisage these days we were never allowed to use published resources except for novel um, so every lesson we planned we had to plan from scratch um, if we wanted the children to have a worksheet we had to write them and at the same time we had to provide a visual aid for every lesson that we um, gave we worked incredibly hard but it again it actually meant you could walk into a classroom without anything and start to teach. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for the um, education I had then, and it very much formed part of what I am as a teacher today. It really does sound like it's um, 
almost like a million miles away from teacher <laughs> teacher training today in terms of uh, <laughs> in, in terms of its approach but it does sound like you've got a great grounding in just um being able to understand everything that you're doing which um which just seems seems like a really important thing to do as a teacher yeah i think i think you know i i i'm not denigrating our young teachers today i think they work incredibly hard i um and i think they have a a, a tough job um but i do think that um what they don't have the privilege of and they don't have the time to do which is which saddens me is that reflective time that we had we had time to think about what we were doing we had time to debate um and we had time to um really build on um our early experiences and we had to do everything from nursery right up to secondary um we didn't specialize until quite a long way into our courses um not everybody did it that way there were obviously people who did a degree and then went on and did a one-year pgce and i'm not knocking that at all i think um again very good sound course um what worries me now is is that what i've said really that teachers don't have that reflective time either whilst they are training or once they've become teachers to really sort of stand back and consider the approaches and the different methodologies and the history and put put what we're doing in in a historical and uh, context and in um, a child development context um there is good CPD out there that 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 helps teachers, um, but but I think for me certainly it's what worked. Um, it's a it's a really interesting point, and it's something that um, here on the educational file we're going to be looking at because we're going to um, taking a few um, students just starting on their journey and um, talking to them about their aspirations and why they're going into the profession, and then following them through their training and, and into schools and all the way through into their into their early careers, um, and just get a real sense of, of, of how that development really works. And I think having a conversation and having a community of people who are all sharing in that same shared experience, I hope will probably maybe start given the chance to have that kind of debate even though it's going to be through a podcast but as is the the way of the world these days you know training and experience is coming in in new forms all the time and so it it sounds like what what you experience is something that we're going to try and help support actually as um as as time goes on and the the podcast starts to develop so that's a that's a very exciting um prospect i think I think there are pockets of it still happening. Um, Amanda Nuttall, who's on Nape Council with us, who works at Leeds Trinity Uni, they are still running a two-year course, um, uh, which gives you know, young teachers far more time um, to develop their craft and develop um, aspects of how they feel about different aspects of education. Of course, one of the things that is removed is because there is a national curriculum um, that that's a given that teachers have to teach and they have to understand that and um, get to know it in a lot of detail. We didn't have that. We, we had to develop our own in classrooms. And of course, that led to, um, that really led to either people doing it very very well and um school communities coming together and really developing a curriculum that makes made a lot of sense for the children in that area 
or it led to people doing extremes of things which didn't work for the children and didn't work for the for the um, school community and that in its turn led to the national curriculum being developed because there were those um, uh, there was a, um, a big range of experience I should say for children across the country it, it, during the sort of late life I began teaching in 1978 and um, the late 70s and early 80s there was a, there was big concerns about the big range of um, experience how it could be extremely good or very poor and that in itself led to um, as I said, the national curriculum being developed. Yeah, and and the the beginning of of where we are now, I guess. Um, so, can you take us forward now, um, in in into your working life? I know you've worked both in the state sector and and the independent sector, and and how how did that develop, and and, and what was that journey like? Okay, well, I having left Birmingham, I didn't want to stay in Birmingham, and nor did I want to go home to Yorkshire. I wanted to come and experience London like most young people um, and uh, I never left. I, so I came to London for two years, thought I'd get a bit of experience under my belt and then um, my then boyfriend turned out to be my husband and we had intended to move up north. We were both northerners, um, but we didn't. We stayed in London and um, neither of us have ever regretted that. We both had extraordinary experiences um here um so yeah i came to london and and something again that is very hard for anybody to get their head around today i came to london looking for a job when there was a shortage of jobs for teachers um right now one of the things i do is i work with, with a teacher agency um helping to provide induction and CPD for teachers who come here to work from other parts of the world. But at that time, there weren't any jobs. And I came to London and worked in a shoe shop from September till January until I got a job. Um, I then did a bit of supply work, um, which was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and then I was incredibly lucky. I got my first full-time job at a wonderful school called Mandeville um, in Hackney in London. And Mandeville was um, just starting out as a um, primary school. It had been, it was, it was on the site of an old secondary school, old Clapton Girls School, which is still up and running, but in a different building. Um, a fantastic head teacher who was an amazing facilitator and I learned a great deal from him. He was very, very good. I, I went in to teach year three. Uh, we had nothing because we'd, we were just starting up as a school and um, there were no maths books. But of course, my background from college meant that I could do that. Um, although I made some crashing, crashing mistakes, as we all do in our first couple of years of teaching. But I was incredibly lucky that we had um, a head teacher who nurtured all his staff and nurtured all the children. And he taught me an, um, a very good thing. He used to say, sow the seeds and let them grow, whether it's a child, or whether it's a teacher and 
you just sometimes have to let people make their mistakes and you sometimes have to stand back and you sometimes you, you obviously step in if something's going to go crashingly wrong uh, but you have to let people develop and some people take longer than others um it was at a time when the other extraordinary thing which is hard for people to understand today is that um we had hmis her majesty's inspectors we didn't have ofsted it didn't exist and those inspectors came in to help and support schools develop they weren't punitive creatures we worked um in hackney with a wonderful inspector called bill Lar. bill is still alive and kicking and if you're listening to this i'm still singing your praises bill after all these years and he would come in and he'd sit in the corner of a classroom and he'd watch what you're doing and then he'd go okay he's sort of doing this or this and you go oh that's interesting i'll come back next week we'll do it together and he came into my room and we did another formative experience for me was I was doing a project on friendship with the children and he came and worked alongside that me doing that and together we wrote it up it moved my thinking and my ability as a teacher forward in a way that an, uh, an inspector coming in and saying you've failed or you're a poor grade or that's useless would never have done um so those those experiences were incredibly important um i was also lucky to work with a team of teachers who we pushed each other we always wanted to do more we were very focused on the children we worked long hours um but we weren't working long hours to do a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of paperwork that was unnecessary we were working long hours because we were in the pub we were planning we were going on courses after school we were looking at what else we could do to develop this wonderful school um and i am internally grateful to clee griffith for giving me the opportunity of working there and um for the team who really my my they were a big part of my formative years um of teaching and i was very very much into dance and um um dance has always been a big part of my life and one of the things that um Klee Griffiths enabled me to do was to spend a year outside the classroom teaching dance throughout the school and teaching science throughout the school and setting up a science resource um center um I trained children to um take part in dance competitions um working at the place at the London School of Contemporary Dance and it was it was all to do with the opportunity and folk being focused on what was important and what would give these children a great opportunities and broaden their horizons that we Bandeville's in the middle of a very mixed um estate um high rise blocks and i would take these children places and then come back and deliver them home at night we would go to sadler's wells and see dance um but we very much had the community behind us because they could see that we were doing things that that really enhanced what was happening for the children there was lots and lots of school trips it's entirely thematic what we did um i learned a great deal about environmental education by taking children away um 
on residential trips, which I believe are incredibly important. They develop children socially, emotionally, academically. Um, very formative time for me. After I, well, I stayed there for 10 years. Um, I moved through a variety of things I did and I taught every year group. Um, one of the things I did during my time there was to retrain as an infant teacher. I'd focused on junior teaching years three to six. I retrained as an infant teacher um, with said HMI, Bill Law. We, um, he ran a one-year course called Moving Between Junior and Infant Classrooms and basically um, in each school, one junior, one infant school teacher took part and we basically retrained each other. Fantastic. And elements of that infant practice very much came into my junior classroom, which was partly the point of doing it. Um, I had various posts of responsibility at that school, dance, religious education, science, maths at one point, um, educational visits. And then I finally became acting deputy head there. Um, for a short period of time when our head teacher was headhunted to um, work in a school that was having some difficulties. Um, after which I applied and um, got a deputy headship at a second school in Hackney at De Beauvoir. And at that school, I met Jeremy Rowe, who was head. I was deputy. Um, he didn't come straight away. I had virtually a year without him um, when the headship was in flux. Um, and together we ran what was then a junior school. We took it through amalgamation into a primary school um, with the infant department next door. We very much, um, I'd met my match in Jeremy, we very much believed the same things about education and um, we moved that school forward an enormous amount. Um, during our time there, uh, the national curriculum was introduced and um, when it was first introduced, it was a little bit of a shock to teachers like us who were used to uh, driving our own curriculum. We worked with it and we um, tried very hard to hold tight onto our belief that a thematic approach to education is a best one for children. Um, it's holistic, uh, it allows them to make connections, it broadens their thinking. Educa children don't really compartmentalise their knowledge, it's something that we as adults do. Um, we talk about geography lessons and history lessons. Children, if we didn't impose that, children would talk about learning. Um, and so we tried very hard to hold on to that. The life got very difficult, I think, um, towards the end of our period there. Jeremy and I ran that school for 10 years together when really the arts were becoming very marginalised. Um, we had a terrific steel band. The funding was taken away. Um, during that time as well, the old Inner London Education Authority went and Hackney took over the running of the schools. Um, it was around that time that we lost our steel band um, and funding for other musical activities. And um, 
there wasn't really the support to do those things. The other thing that happened at that time um, was that in order to make sure that the national curriculum was being um, being um, delivered in, in um, the way that it was intended, um, timings would be, were put on what we could do. So you ended up with an hour a week for PE, an, an hour a week for art, an, an hour a week for history. The timings, I, I don't remember the strict timings, I'm giving you examples here. And it was expected at that time that that's how you 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 did it. And, and it, it didn't make any sense to me um, that you you had to strictly time everything you did because if you're in the middle of a great lesson and the children are thinking and the children are engaged, you want to continue that to um, to its right, right conclusion. That doesn't mean to say you're not, as a teacher, concerned about getting balance in their education and ensuring that they do have an appropriate amount of um, PE and art, etc., etc. And, you know, I really believe that if we are going to develop children the arts the physical and the physical side of education is just as important as the academic you know you get take children out of the classroom away from sitting at their desks doing writing and get them doing some music some dance and art and you bring them back and they're refreshed and they're ready to think again and they're ready to knuckle down to that academic side of education um, it doesn't make any sense to just having have young children sitting at their desks day in, day out. They need that other stuff and they need to develop it if they are to become well-rounded individuals who um, can problem solve and think for themselves, um, who can communicate clearly, who can um, work in teams. So all that stuff was beginning to disappear. Um and Jeremy and I both came from very strong backgrounds of having uh, worked in the arts with children. Jeremy, as I said before, he um, ran Festival of Voices. He had a strong background in drama and music. Mine is in art and dance. So these things were very important to us. And we we both had seen children really thrive. Um, by engaging them in such activities. So it began as a bit of a joke, really, that um, we would say to each other, OK, let's dream about what a school could be like if we ran it completely independently without the bureaucracy and without people telling us what we can, could and couldn't do. And it began as a bit of a joke. And then we sat down and we actually wrote what actually turned out to be almost a book about how we felt a school should and could be run. Um, it was, had you said to either of us that we would open, work in and run an independent school, prior to this point, we would have said, don't be silly, we are very committed to state education. And I think the one sadness for both of us in leaving state and uh, setting up the Lyceum was exactly that, that um, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And it wasn't an experiment. It was very much came out of um, commitment, dedication and 
a feeling that we needed to re-establish some integrity in what we were doing. Um, we wish very much that we could have done that within the state system. Um, there are some very strong and um, visionary and maverick heads out there who have managed to maintain um, working in a way that is thematic and encompassing and very much like we ran the Lyceum within the state system. But at that time, for us, we couldn't see how we could do that. So we left. Um, and 20 years ago, we set up the Lyceum School, which was actually still in Hackney. So I spent my entire teaching career in Hackney. Um, but actually on the edge of the city of London. And we set it up with 17 children. Um, straight away, we employed a piano teacher, a recorder teacher, and a trumpet teacher. Um, so music became very much part of the school. The, the whole school was the orchestra. We grew quicker than we we'd expected to grow, not intended, expected to grow. And we had to move buildings within four years, um, which was a very difficult thing to do. Um, but we did it. Um, and then we were able to develop even more um, our, our bands and our um, dance and our music and, and our after school clubs, etc., etc., etc. However, the one thing I do want to say is that the music, the dance, the drama were never add ons, they were never after school clubs. They were always, always fundamentally part of the curriculum, and every child learnt to play an instrument, um, every child was involved in. Um, putting on plays and being part of drama, whatever their role might be. Mark, I might need a prompt. What, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, it's perfect. I was just, just going to say that's the, that's the perfect point for me to come in because um, I should say, is it that point as the school was then growing that... Um that I started working there, um, Alex, who was the, the, the trumpet teacher who became the, the head of music, um, was, was someone that I was working with in a, in a professional performing um, field. Um, and, um, and yeah, just, just talking about the school and the environment and, and what it was all about is obviously something which was really important to him. And, um, and he started asking me about questions about what he could do, how he could get um, whole classes doing music, and so, and also from the point of doing it from early years, so that the the basis of what you needed actually really came from the the beginning of learning, and so those musical skills were then able to be enhanced as you went further on, and then the recorders, um, and then into ensembles and and, and performances, and um, and it was a great thrill to be part of all of that, and. Um, you, you can basically see the fruition of that Alex and I set up um, Rhythmically Speaking which was a, a music education company really just doing that kind of thing with sort of samba and whole class music which was really enjoyable and um, and those are the videos you can see on the website if you go to the educationonfire.com website on the homepage where it says the um, whole class music workshops they were done at the Lyceum based on what I was doing there at the time and also through Rhythmically Speaking and um and 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 it works, and that's that's basically why Education on Fire started as well, because it was from people viewing those things and getting in contact and asking me how they could put that in their schools, and um, 
that I thought actually just sharing some of these things um, and how it can be then put into schools these days is actually could be really supportive for people and then interviewing people not just for music but from other backgrounds as well sort of a combination of this um, modern era of being able to share information and supporting each other um, not just within schools but uh, across the world even because of the, the nature of um, media now and podcasting being at the heart of some of that new audio world um, we could really share some of these things and also some inexpensive ways of doing it just um, having the idea that you think this is a good idea and hearing other people knowing it's a good idea and just some basic tips of how you can implement that and, and how it can grow and um and that almost sort of brings us full circle, really, from um, from from where you where I sort of joined you in that journey, and then um, carrying it through to Nape as well. I do think that you know there are um, there is a lot of hope in our schools now, and that you know I am seeing um, and hearing of schools where um, there are good things happening for our children and teachers who are incredibly dedicated to making this making this happen of course it, it it's a matter of being creative and using the time creatively and um using opportunities that are open to you and um i think it's for me i think that the um the way in which schools approach this now is is to do with the thematic approach to education and because there is there has been a loosening in the last few years and, and themes are coming back into schools and if schools are brave enough and, and teachers are brave enough to take those um, themes and really broaden them out they can encompass the music and the dance and the drama um, there rather than doing everything in isolation and I think um, that was the real difference for us at the Lyceum, that we really carefully chose to teach children totally and utterly absorbed in a theme. Of course, you do your maths discreetly on the whole, although there is maths that can fit into themes too, or be at least um, developed through themes. Um, but all our English and um was was certainly done through a thematic approach for the children and for us it made us all want to go to school what a fantastic sounding thing that is just the uh the pupils and the staff all wanting to come to school all wanting to learn and just having an environment where where they can grow and develop um in in a way which is really supportive for everybody you know i think this whole idea of themes and um, and being immersed in in the subjects is just incredibly helpful for everybody and my other big takeaway from from having listened in the last few minutes is just the how important the arts are you know music dance um drama just they really just make you feel a certain way and and if it's a positive feeling then that really is just supportive for learning as a whole and um i think that shouldn't be underestimated and i think with lynn's experience and 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 having heard her journey all the way through both from the state sector and in, into the independent sector um i think just all those takeaways um, are just incredibly important and even though education is different now than it was before I think just understanding where it's come from how it's developed and the sorts of things you can put back into your classroom now um, I just think that there's some really valuable information there for us all for us all to take away thanks so much for chatting to us today Lynn it's been really interesting hearing the whole story all the way through and um, and, I, and I think we're in a we're in a good place in order to help as many people as possible
I hope so. That's the aim. Thank you for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information, please go to educationonfire.com.